this, uh, this is the message that I had written for Easter Sunday, but when we had great opportunity to have our senior pastor, Peter, come and, and speak with us, you don't turn that opportunity down. But do you know what? An Easter message isn't just for Easter. Do you know what? The truths of Easter are for every day of all the year, every year. And so I thought, do you know what? I can shift it a little bit because I know, I know I've got to give this message because it wouldn't leave me. Have you ever been in that place where you've got something going on here and it won't go until you discharge it? So I know there's someone in this room that needs to hear this. Someone in this room is going to get some freedom because of this, and it might be you. So let's all tune in. You know, I've had this rumbling on so long, but here's the thing. Let's build a picture. Let's build a platform. God's plans have always been good for you. Give me a wave you believe that. God's hands have, plans have always been good for you. They are good plans, and they involve you having joy. That's God's plan. See, in the beginning, God placed mankind in a garden. Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. And it was, imagine this, imagine waking up every day not worrying about provision. Imagine waking up every day not stressing out about what's coming. Who you're going to talk to, how that's going to go, what the boss is going to say, whether you're going to meet the deadline. Imagine living like that every day. That was your life. That was God's intention. Imagine waking up every day and literally walking hand in hand with your father. Face to face, in complete unity. Imagine, can we even imagine that? That was always God's plan. It was this perfect oneness between God and man, doing life together where every day is an exploration of exciting things. It just brought joy and peace every day. That was God's plan. Can I tell you, it's still God's plan. It's for you and it's for you today. Even in 2019, we always celebrate the word, the language like, oh, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But the trouble is, we live like it. But when we start walking hand in hand with the Father like he always intended, suddenly we have different results. Suddenly we have different things going on the inside of us, and it's good. Are you grabbing this? Hear this message with me. Genesis 2, verse 15. Look at the language here. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to... Tend, tend the person next to say tend, to tend and keep it. I love that language. When you're tending something, it doesn't feel like hard work, does it? Just taking care of it, just, just tending to the business. It wasn't there to do nothing, but just to look after the stuff, just to keep it tidy, just to tend it. The trouble is, we've come to a place where everything feels like work. But God's plan was always to tend. We know the story. Satan comes in. Satan has been kicked out of his position in heaven where he was head of worship, where he was the bright light, where he was at perfect oneness with God. And he's been kicked out. And what does he do? He attacks the very thing, humanity, that has taken his place. Because now we have perfect oneness with God. Now we are here to worship God. Now we are here living that lifestyle that he will never live again. And he hates it. And so we've become... His enemy, and he's become ours. And what does he do? Classics technique. He whispers. Did God really say that? Do you see what happens? You see, the devil's got nothing on you and me, but he has got a whisper. We choose whether we're going to hear it or not. And the trouble is, Adam and Eve did hear it. And on the basis of them hear it, they made a different choice. And then something shifts. Look at the language here in Genesis 3.17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you to, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In 
Toil. Turn to the person next to you and say, Toil. Toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So suddenly we've gone from this place of being at perfect oneness with God, living in his plans, tending, waking up every day to peace and joy and love and all good things. And because we chose, humanity chose to listen to a different voice, we stepped away from that and ended up toiling. I believe we're still toiling today. You look at your friends, your family, the world we live in, it is hard work, it is graft, we're reaching for more, we're going for more, we're asking for more, and it's hard work. That to me speaks of toil. That wasn't God's plan. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan has always been perfect oneness with him in unity where we get to explore stuff in freedom. That's always been his plan and it's still his plan. I, you know, there's a few verses that in, in, in God's word that I just love to base my life on and they're my go-to verses and I'm going to share three of them with you right now. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14. This is for everyone. For you created, this is speaking of God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I love that idea, that truth. That right at the outset, even when I was a twinkle in my dad's eye, God was there. And when I was conceived, he was there knitting me together and he knew what I would look like and he knew the skills and dreams he would put in me. None of this is an accident. I was made on purpose for a purpose, right at the outset. And then you go into Jeremiah 29, 11, which has been a stalwart in this church, but it's a great verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That is still true today. God made you right at the beginning, on purpose, for purpose, and he's got good plans for you still today. And then you've got John 10, 10. Jesus speaking. The thief, Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Still true today. So that doesn't speak of toil to me. That speaks of freedom. That I was made and crafted in the womb. I was given skills and dreams and attributes. I looked like this on purpose. Well played God. (laughs) But he's got a plan for me. And I believe that. And so that gives me vision. God, let me join in with what you're doing. Because when I join in with what what you're doing, it's not going to be hard work for me because you made me for this. We'll walk it together. So often we're reaching and going for something else and we've stepped away a little bit from what God was saying. Why? Because we listen to someone else. And when you listen to someone else, you step away a little bit and suddenly it all becomes hard work. Do you know what? Every day we have a choice to start listening back to the Father again. Every day. His mercies are new every morning. Today's a day that you could choose something different and say, I know you've got plans for me. I know you knitted me in the womb. I believe that to be true. And Jesus, I know you came to give me the fullest life. Right now, it doesn't feel like that, but it's still your truth. If you'll agree, can you hear? God's plan was always that we would tend and enjoy and explore and live life in freedom. Jesus has to step in. I'm sure everyone in this room will know the story. Jesus has to step in. And the reason he comes to step in is to bring relationship back to the Father. Jesus is our way back to walking hand in hand with the Father. That's what it was all for. He came. He says, I'm bringing full life with with me. And he steps in and he comes and he came to heal the brokenhearted. 
How many of us are struggling in life with hurts? Well, Jesus says, I love you so much. I'm going to a cross for you so that I have the ability to heal you. And I love the fact that then we have the ability to heal someone else. And it self-perpetuates because it's a message of heaven. I love the idea that he wants us to bring, to bring hope back and to breathe again. How many of us are in life just suffocating? It's all so much. There's so much going on. There's so many boxes to tick. Ah, what does the next five years look like? What's my 15-year plan? When am I going to get married? Are we going to have kids? What about buying a house? But I want to afford a holiday. Holy, I'm not feeling very well. I'm a bit stressed. I'm going to bed. It just gets on top of us. And yet God's plan always was let's walk this out together and tend it. Let's walk this out together in freedom. Because I made you on purpose for a purpose and it was for fullness. And that's still true today. There must be an amen somewhere in the house. I get excited about this stuff. I want to just come against anxiety and stress and worry. It's everywhere we look. And yet God said, I want you to tend and not to toil. I love this. That One of the things that I think we stress about in humanity today is, is, is provision. Where is it going to come from? And one of the things Jesus came to demonstrate was the provision of heaven. You know, God will provide. Have a look at this in Matthew 17, 27. It's an unusual one, and I like it. Um, They're talking about, should we pay taxes? They go to Jesus, and he says, so we won't cause offence. Go to the lake now and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Is there another? Take it and give it to them for my tax. And yours. You see, this is the provision of Jesus. We're worrying about where's the next thing going to come from, where's the next thing going to come from, and reaching out for stuff. And God, Jesus is saying, like, chill. I've got this. Heaven can provide for you in unusual ways. You know, it will come through something. In this instance, it came through a random fish. Now, that might not be your experience, but it could be. My experience is God provides random people. And when I'm in need and I'm saying, come on, God, suddenly the provision arrives through unusual circumstances and it stirs my faith. But what I love here is that God doesn't just provide for one, he provides for them all. This will pay my tax and yours. Happy days. Anyone got a tax bill coming up? Let's go fishing. (laughs) But can you see the point? We stress and have anxiety about it and lose sleep over it. But what we should be doing is just tending our stuff and walking with the Lord and he will provide. It brings freedom. Doing it any other way just closes you into a place of darkness and it was never God's plan. But it takes faith to live like that. Jesus goes to a cross and he pays the price. You know, the, the word says the wages of sin is death. It's just like, oh, that's a bit heavy. But do you know what? Jesus took that heaviness and he went there on mine and your behalf. That means we don't have to pay that price. All we have to do is say, thank you, Jesus, and walk with him. And suddenly you end up in this place of tending in life, not toiling in life. But when I start looking at apologetics, and you know, of course I believe that, and anyone here visiting church, well, you're going to say that because you're a Jesus freak, and you're going to say that because you're a pastor of a church. But you know what? I love that even in the Bible, it gives us great testimony from people who didn't believe in Jesus. I love when I look at the historical stuff surrounding Jesus, the resurrection, his life and death and everything else. It's all there, not just in a Christian context, but in a historical context. It happened, people. You're burying your head in the sand if you you think it didn't, because it just so did. There's too much evidence for it. But look at this in Matthew 27, verse 54. Jesus has gone to the cross. 
He's been crucified and he's died. There's a centurion at the foot of the cross. Now, a centurion isn't just a soldier. He is the soldier who is in charge of a hundred other soldiers. He's one of the big guys. He would have earned his stripes. He would have seen war and fighting and death and made big decisions in his life. He's been put at the foot of the cross because they need to know that Jesus actually dies. When the centurion and those with him were guiding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This isn't a Jesus guy. This is a guy witnessing what happens to Jesus. He's a Roman soldier, a centurion, and in that moment when he was there and he saw it, he says, that's the Son of God. He's got to be the best evangelist in history. (laughs) And my point is this, it's real. And when you start getting the realness of it in here, it actually leads to freedom. We start to tend instead of toiling. We start to lose our anxiety and build our faith. We start to have outrageous and unusual experiences of God's provision, and that builds faith even more. And suddenly when we live that life, we have a church full of people whose faith living up here, and we have a bunch of people watching it going, surely your God is the Son of God, because they're watching your life. Do you get it? So there's something that we need to shift in us to start walking hand in hand with the Father again, which will release us from these dark places. Here's the crux of what I want to say today. Here's my title, in fact. Stuck between a rock and a hard place. Anyone ever, you know what that means. Anyone ever felt like that? Maybe you're even feeling that right now. Sometimes you just feel like there's just no way out. Uh, You know, if I go this way, it's no good. If I go this way, it's no good. I'm I'm stuck here. Whatever decision I make is not going to be a good decision. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Let's have a look what happens when they bury Jesus in Matthew 27, 59 through 66. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in, in, um, in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that whilst he was still alive, that, that deceiver, speaking of Jesus, said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure. They were absolutely wetting themselves that he might get back up. For the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body. um, And tell the people that he had been raised from the dead. This last deception would be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So here's the situation. Jesus has died. They've put him in this tomb and they've rolled a rock in the way. They've not only rolled a rock in the way, they've sealed it. They've not only sealed it, they've put a Roman guard there. And you need to know this about the Roman guard and how the Roman soldiers worked. If they failed their mission, they died. It was their job to not let Jesus get out. It was their job to make sure he stayed dead. That was their job. Because they were scared. The religious people were scared that Jesus might actually do what he said. So let's, let's guard it. Let's pull it over. Let's put the people there. Let's not let them spread rumours and come and steal the body. By the way, this stone is massive. The, the disciples couldn't have turned up and gone, oh, let's just roll that out of the way. It's ginormous, great. It would have weighed tonnes. They couldn't have done it, but they were worried he was going to get there. But Jesus 
is now in this dark place between a rock and a hard place. What does he do? Throw me a bone here. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been stuck between a rock and a hard place. I look back on my life and I've got lots of stories where I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. And, and, and how do you handle it? What do you do? One of the stories from my life is uh, before I met Sarah, I was in a relationship, a long relationship with another girl. I met her when I was 16, 17, and I went out with her till I was 24. And in my mind, I was getting married. We'd been going out a long, long time. We'd put a deposit down on a house. We'd sent out wedding invites. It was all happening. Very public. And then mum and dad came to me and said, Barry, are you sure? And he's like, oh. Because you know when you're not sure, but you want to be sure. And I'd been, spent all my adult life from 17 to 24 with this girl who I thought I was going to be married, and suddenly I wasn't sure. So I felt like I was stuck between a rock and a hard place because if I end the relationship, I've got to start again at 24, and I didn't want that. That's tough. It's all I've known in my adulthood. Or I could stay with her, and that probably wasn't going to be that great either because she probably wasn't the right girl for me. So I could either stay in the relationship and work really hard to make it good or leave the relationship and trust God. But I felt like in that moment, it's easy to say now, but in that moment at 24 years old, I felt I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Because in that place, are God's plans for me still good? In that place, was I still formed and created with purpose? In that place, could I trust him? Was my life full then? And you know what? It didn't feel like it. But the truth is, I don't live by feelings, I live by what's true. And so therefore, I wouldn't have been able to put language around that like I am now then, but I had to make a Jesus choice, a heart choice that I knew ultimately inside here was right, but it was tough. And I let her go. Best choice I ever made. Because having walked out of that, made the choice gone through the hurt and pain of a breakup, which was really, you know, we hadn't fallen out. There was no one else involved. There was no big reason other than just in here, I just knew. And it was sad. We'd been together six, nearly seven years. And I had to let her go. And then I had to walk it out. But here's the key. I still had to keep being me. Who knows when you're in that dark place, it's so easy to stop being you. Just a nosedive. To stay in bed a bit too long to mope around a little bit, to stop hanging out with the people you usually hang out with, to stop getting about your business. It's so easy just to close in when you're in the dark place. And if I'd closed in in that place, I'd never have met Sarah. Because what I actually chose to do was keep being me, being lively, being full of life, being energetic, being this good. <laughs> and I met Sarah. You see, what actually happened was God, for me, rolled away the rock. I didn't do anything, I just kept being me. But God opened up a much better door. We wouldn't be sat here in this room right now unless I'd met Sarah. Because it wouldn't have worked with the other girl. Lovely as she was, she didn't have what Sarah had. In any department, baby. <laughs> but I'm just trying to put some language around what I'm talking about. Can, can you get it? I'm sure all of you at some point understand what it's like to think, oh, there just feels no good way out of this. But that's where we have to start having faith. Is God's plan for me good or isn't it? Because if it's good, he will shift something. You don't have to do anything. 
He will shift something. All you need to do is keep being you. I, I, I want to analyze that through Jesus now. And I'm not going to bring the verse up on the screen, but you can look at it for yourself. But in 1 Peter 3 and verses 18 through 19, we see that although his body was dead, his spirit was alive. Jesus went down to the depths. Jesus went down to hell. And while he was stuck in the dark place, he got about his business. He was still preaching. <laughs> Guys, I've got this. We win. I'm taking the keys. I'm getting back up. You've got nothing on me. You see, he didn't just lay there going, oh, that didn't work out, did it? Oh, rubbish. He carried on with the mission he was sent with, even in the dark place. I love that. I love that passage where you can't get away from the presence of God because you go to the top of the mountain and he's there. You go to the depth of the earth and he's there. Even in hell, he's there. Amazing. That God, Jesus is everywhere. The Spirit is everywhere. And he loves us and his plan's still good for us. And this is going to be important in a minute. John 20, verses 4 through 7. He also did this. And they heard that Jesus had got up. So they both ran together. Uh, and, and the other disciple outran Peter. This is Peter and John. John was writing his story. So John was obviously the fastest because it's his story. <laughs> and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the, and he saw the, the linen cloth lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. That's important. So Jesus, having got back up, didn't, some of his clothes were around, the things they'd wrapped him up in. But the handkerchief that they placed on the face was neatly folded. That's important. I'll explain to you why it's important in a moment, but hold that thought. That's what Jesus did in the dark place. That's what Jesus did when he was stuck between the rock and a hard place. He went down and he carried on preaching, but then he neatened up his stuff. Hold that thought, hold that thought, hold that thought. Here's what happens. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 2 through 4. Um, there was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Here's the thing. You see, Jesus is stuck between the rock and a hard place. He doesn't do anything other than carrying on doing his bit. God brings the might of heaven down and moves the rock. And the men there, with the threat of death over them if they don't fall their mission, are so amazed by heaven turning up, that they hit the floor and act like dead men. You see, when we start living how God wants us to live, he's going to do amazing things in our life that get us out of dark places, and people are going to look at it and go, wow! Because he wants us to tend and not toil. He wants us to live in freedom and not in dark places. He wants to provide for us in outrageous ways. But the way we get there is to believe he'll do it, not to work harder at it. Sometimes I feel like, you know, in, in, our, in our faith, we're like, well, I must work harder to be better. I must work. And of course, have wisdom and make great choices every day. But it's not about you working harder. It's about allowing God to step in and do it for you. Because then that brings freedom. What Jesus did is believe his father would come and get him. He had faith. Imagine the faith of Jesus. Lord, give me that kind of faith. I'll go to the tomb because I know you're coming to get me. You know, I might be in a dark place, but I know you're coming to get me. You know, I'll push that door and I'll do that thing you've asked me to do. And I'm not sure how it's going to pan out, but I know you're going to be with me. The faith of Jesus. What could that look like for me and for you today? 
because God doesn't want you living in a dark place. He doesn't want you feeling stuck. His plans are good for you. He did craft you in the room and he did come that you'd have the fullest life. It's all true for you today. Jesus didn't do anything. God did it. Isn't that releasing in a faith-based relationship where you start going, I just do what I'm called to do and I trust God for the rest. And he actually does it. And you get a story. When God shows up and declares freedom from heaven, nothing can stand in the way. You see, a massive rock is moved. The guards guarding it fall down. Nothing can stand in the way when God shows up. But we need to stop believing that. Nothing can stand in the way when God shows up of me fulfilling my purpose, of me living out my dream, of me having the freedom, the provision for that freedom. Nothing can stand in its way when God shows up. So I pray that I can stir your faith this morning. That's true for you. It's not just a story biblical. It's for you and it's for today. That when you start believing in God, he wants to say to you, I'm here, I'm with you now, I've got a plan for you, let's make it happen together. And that means walking hand in hand. Are you getting this? I just want to encourage some people. If you're in a dark place now, or if you find yourself in a dark place later, to keep yourself busy. To keep being you. I've worked in my pastoral role, I've worked with so many people that when they end up in a dark place, they just nosedive. That is the most common response to a difficult time. Jesus didn't nosedive. We're not called to nosedive. We're called to keep living through it. You know, I love that whole idea of going through the valley, but we don't live in the valley, we walk through the valley. And at the end of the valley, he's created a table for us in the front of our enemies and it's a feast of life. You know, the, the biblical themes go through and through and through and they're all so similar because they're God's message saying, if you can't get it this way, get it this way. And if you can't get it this way, get it this way. But I want you to get it. However you get it, just know I'm walking this out with you to bring freedom and hope. Let's talk about this idea of the napkin being folded. You see, Jesus would know what that would mean to the people who found it. Because in Hebrew culture, if you're the master of the house and you had servants, the servants would serve you. And after they serve you, they'd put a napkin on the table and you'd put the napkin across yourself and tuck it in your top or whatever you might do and eat your food. If you were getting up to go to the toilet, you would fold the napkin and leave it to the side. If you were getting up because you'd finished and you had enough, you'd screw it up and chuck it to the side and walk away. When the servants saw the screwed up napkin, they know they can approach now and clear the table. But if they see the folded up napkin, they don't approach and here's why. Because the master is coming back. Jesus was declaring to people, I'm up and alive, but I'm coming back. (laughs) He's coming back for a church that is full of faith. He's coming back for a bunch of people who are declaring heaven on earth now. And while we're waiting for it to come back, we're going to live like it. We're going to trust him in the dark times. We're going to celebrate in the good times. We're going to walk this life out hand in hand. And do you know what? It's going to be tender, not toil. It will always be tender, not toil when we walk it out hand in hand with the Father. But the truth is still true today for us as it was for Adam and Eve. The whispers still exist. What voice are you going to listen to? There will be people in your life who will give you well-meaning advice because they believe it's true. But you've got to decide, is that a, a message from heaven or is it a message from somewhere else? And if it's a message from somewhere else and you've got to decide, you need to say, no, I'm walking hand in hand with my father. Because every time you receive a message from someone else, it will always lead to toil. 
It won't necessarily lead to you dying or the worst life in history. It will just become laborious. But when you walk hand in hand with the Father, good things happen. The stones are rolled away. Life comes, freedom comes, hope comes. And for me, I just believe we carry the best message on the history of the planet. But the best message is portrayed through us living it, not just talking about it. Now, of course, share your faith. Of course, I hope you invite people to movie May. But the best way you can get people's attention is to live it. And so that when people are looking at your life and going, oh, you, you know, that, that's difficult what's happened to you. You've lost your job or family members passed away or you've gone through a sickness or something's happened. And where everyone else nosedives, do you know what? The church doesn't nosedive. Because in that dark place, what do we do? Have faith that my God's still with me. And I might be stuck between a rock and a hard place right now, but I've got faith that my God's going to shift something. I might be here right now, but I don't belong here. And I'm going to keep doing my business until I get out of there and I'll have a story to tell. Come on, church. Can we live that life? Can we live that life? Because when your friends and family members and colleagues and work friends, all those things, when they see that, it's the best message in history. That I've got a hope for a future. And even more than that, Jesus is coming back. Wouldn't it be awesome when Jesus comes back that we stand before him and he just looks at us and goes, well done. Well done. Are you living the well done life? Because you get a choice. I get a choice. Every day I get a choice to say, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to think this way. I'm going to speak this way. But when I stand before my Jesus, I just want to look him in the face and go, I gave it my very best shot. And it was a blast. Didn't get it right all the time, but it was a blast. And you know what? I want to take a load of people with me to stand in front of Jesus and say, look what we did. We changed the world. We turned the world upside down. Did all these amazing things because we believed in you. And I want us to do that together. We've talked about a wave, you know, a wave of, of a move of heaven that keeps going and doesn't stop. And the reason it doesn't stop is because when someone else is nosediving, someone else picks them up. Because we can't do it on our own, we can only do it together. Could you be someone who plays your part in being on the crest of the wave, living out heaven on earth now? And if you see someone else just dipping and saying, come on, let's do this together. Knowing that if you have a bad moment, someone else will do the same for you. And we have this wave of heaven going through Colchester. Wouldn't it be so awesome if Colchester became famous for a move of God? You know, we are the oldest town in the whole country. I was going to say world then. In the whole country. There is a church out there that was built in the year 300. The oldest first ever church in our whole nation. The St. Bartholomew's Priory is the first monastery in our nation. God showed up here. Prayer, you could argue that prayer started here in our nation because the first church is 100 yards away and we're meeting right next to it, by the way. That's quite cool. And this has been deemed a place of war. The army are here. We've got a castle. Boudicca was here. There's been a place of war. Well, we're in a spiritual battle. Wouldn't it be great if we became the church that stood up and said, I'm going to live it properly? Wouldn't it be great if we, we found ourselves in a dark place and didn't just nosedive, but said, he's going to move my rock, so I'm going to keep living it. And we had a testimony in our life that people looked at and said, I want what you're having. In fact, I'll have two. <laughs> Do you get it? 
And then suddenly people are looking around saying there's a church that means it. There's a church that's carrying this message so strongly. There's a church that's changing lives. There's a church that's changing, the, turning the world upside down. Why? Just because we've got faith. Not because we're brilliant. Not because we've got it all together. Not because we do everything right. But we play our part. And God does the rest. I just feel like something significant could come out of Colchester. You know, you students who are here, I just believe you didn't end up in Colchester by accident. God's building something in this town. We've got, you know, some, some years ago we sent a clipboard around um, and just asked this question, could you write down your home nation? And in one meeting we had 36 nations represented. God's doing something significant. Now, isn't that what church should look like? You know, all these different nations and flavours and thoughts coming together, surrounding themselves with their connection to Jesus. Saying, we believe heaven can touch earth through people like us. We're all different, but yet we're all the same. Something significant is going to happen here. And I hope I'm stirring some faith in you that you might play your small part in it. I can't change the world on my own, and neither can you. But a church committed to Jesus can. And we're now part of a much bigger church, aren't we? multiple locations all over the world turning the world upside down sometimes we're in a hard place but we have faith that God will shift the rock so we don't worry, we don't get anxious we might go fishing but God will provide for you if you're someone right now who's believing, provi- provi- um, believing for provision just give me a wave because I want to pray for you right now Someone here, someone here, someone here, someone here. Come on, don't miss your moment. Lots of people. Just get your hand. If you're near someone, their hand raised. Let's pray. Come on, are we men and women of faith that believe God can provide in unusual ways? And could there be a testimony for someone here who says, do you know what? Since we prayed that prayer, the stones started to move. I can see the light. Something's changing in my world. Come on, let's pray. Stir your faith, church. Lord, we don't want to come to you and say nice words. We want to touch your heart. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you created us. We know you've got good plans for us. We know you've called us to the fullest life. We know that's true. So, Lord God, we lift up our brothers and sisters who are in a position where they say we need provision. Lord, release the provision of heaven over these people right now in Jesus' name. We release provision to you. You will see it. Stir your faith. While you're in that dark place, you keep about your business. You do what you can do. And just watch God do the rest. Come on, we declare rocks moved in Jesus' name. We declare freedom in Jesus' name. And an outrageous provision in Jesus' name. Lord, I believe that these people have more than enough for them so that they could actually help someone else. You know, this will pay my taxes and yours. Lord God, that's the provision we're looking for. Blessed to be a blessing. We declare it over your people in Jesus' name and all God's people said. How about get your feet, church? Let me just invite you to close your eyes as we just pray two or three more things. Isn't God good? Jesus. Jesus. Just with every eye closed, is there anyone here who feels like in this moment of time you're stuck between a rock and a hard place? You totally relate to that idea of it feels like whichever way I go, there's not a good option. If that's you, just give me a wave because we're going to pray for you. God bless you over there. God bless you here in the middle. God bless you. God bless you at the back there. God bless you at the side. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I knew it was for someone. You can put your hands down the Father's scene. 
If you feel like you need to talk to someone, please come to the front and we'll find someone to talk and pray with you. But Lord God, I lift up these amazing people to you who in this present moment feel like they're, they're trapped. Lord, move the rock. Move the rock. Move the rock. Lord, let faith arise in these brilliant people, Lord God, that although it seems no way out, you're going to create a way out. It's not going to be what they've done. It's going to be what you've done. But let faith arise, Lord God. As a church, we commit to pray for you and declare goodness over you and faith to you and hope to you. You will come out of this and you'll have a good story of the God's goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're someone who's in a good place, let me encourage you to help someone else out of their bad place. Remember this message. It'll be helpful to you one day. And just with every eye closed, is there anyone here today who feels like, having heard all that, the reality is I'm far from Jesus. Maybe I've never known Jesus. Is today the day you say, Jesus, I want you in the middle of this thing. I want to tend and I don't want to toil. I want to walk hand in hand with you into the purpose you always had for me. If that's you today and you say, I want to get Jesus in the middle of it, well, just give me a wave, we're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone here today? Thank you, Lord. Okay, we're all good, but I'll always give that opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I just pray you'd seal in everything you're doing today. Lord, that people would leave this building encouraged and built up, challenged to be men and women of faith, to choose to listen to your voice and not to other voices. And Lord, in the process, we will walk into freedom. All God's people said.